Okay, good to see you all this morning. My fellow Wyandotte County natives, you know, from the Riley family here. And, uh, and you know what, I, I graduated high school. There's a, a lady in this class, she's not here this morning, but uh, Stacy Watson and I graduated high school together. She was Stacy Chestnut before that, you know. I don't know if she's watching on Zoom or something today. But uh, you know what, uh, class of 1989, Washington High School, you know. Now, Deb Mulder also went to that high school, but a few years before me, you know. So anyway, so uh, my wife, what's that? That's right. You're Wyandotte? Which high school did you go to? Ward. Bishop Ward. <laughs> my wife, Bethany here, uh, she's from Maine. So she's from way out of town, up in Maine, you know. And so uh, it's been our joy to be missionaries and that this church has been behind us for several years. So my wife and I, we spent 10 years in India and we planted churches in the slums of Mumbai and we went to Arissa with Pastor Pradeep and then we helped to start the, the Hope Family Orphan Home up in Kathmandu, Nepal with Pastor Rajan. And th this next Saturday, there's that 5K race the Grayland 5K, and a lot of the finances go to support the orphan home that we helped in Nepal up in Kathmandu, you know. And, uh, and then just this last month, we got to be missionaries for a week to Centralia, Missouri with Karen and Daryl. We went out to their Bible study. You all ought to, everybody ought to do a road trip to Centralia because we had a blast to go into a small town. Isn't small towns like amazing? And you go to these people who are, they're, you know, it's like a different world. They're like, they're not used to the city folks, but, uh, but they're just all coming into the Newfield's house. You know, they're just coming into the living room and having a Bible study every, it's on Thursday nights, every other Thursday. So we all had to plan another road trip together, you know, out to Centralia. And uh, so I just thank God for a chance to be a part of this body of Christ as we're back in America. So Lord willing, we got the, the word. I was telling the Pharaoh that the Indian government is now officially going to let us go back in to, to go back to India because the, the church in Cambodia, we started, it's, it's ready with the, the local leaders that we trained, they're ready to go. And now we want to go to India because our churches in India that we started have been suffering a lot from the shutdown for a whole year. And we have to restart those churches. So pray for us to get back to India, hopefully in January that we'll be here for missions focus. And then after that, we'll be sent back out to India, Lord, Lord willing, you know, by the grace of God. And so pray for that. I'm going to share some scriptures with you today. And I've, I've got some stories I'm going to tell you today. And I'm going to, I'm going to put my phone up here so I make sure to know what time it is, because I know we got to finish in a good time for church coming up. But I got some stories to tell. Now, these stories, I may move very quickly through some incredible testimonies of missions, because the theme today is about missions, and Dell asked me to come and just speak about missions, you know. So, of course, the mission in our life that Bethany and I were called to be missionaries, which, by the way, God called me to be a missionary when I was 20 years old to go to India, but it took a long time of training. I had to go through Bible training and shepherd school, and at the same time that Sam Miles was in shepherd school, but then all those years later, I got sent to India. I went single, you know, I was a single missionary and I was praying for a wife, you know, 
and I couldn't find a wife in Wyandotte County, you know, <laughs> I looked all over Wyandotte County and I, you know, and nobody wanted to go to India, see, so, but then God called Bethany to go to India when she was a little girl in Maine, got, she had that calling that, and it was all about India too, she had that vision about India, and so God put us in the same place, you know, isn't that cool? How you pray about your future, how God's going to line you up with people that you never met before because God's called it to the same calling, you know? And so we met each other on the mission field and got married. And, and so we've had a, uh, a lot of opportunities that we, we don't deserve these opportunities, but, but you all is because you all as a church have been supporting us. We get these opportunities. So it's like the grace of the church and the grace of God. Let us do these things. Um, so I got some scripture for you. Let's see what we can do here with our slides. Here we go. First scripture is Mark chapter nine. So the, the point I'm going to try to make with this scripture, and the point about your life, about God's call in our lives, is that even after we receive discipleship, sometimes we're still not going to get it. We're, we're going to go through discipleship one, foundations and discipleship two. You know, the, the disciples of Jesus were with Jesus every single day for three years, at least more than three years. And, and look what, how they responded. They said, you know, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Now, you ever been afraid to ask a question in a crowd, you know? And, uh, but here, are these, these disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They went through D1 and D2, you know? <laughs> I mean, they've been through the LFBI with him, but they still didn't understand it, right? Jesus said, hey, life is all about the cross. Life is all about dying to self. Life is all about giving up my rights. And life is all about not me trying to plan my future. I'm going to get this and get that, and I'm going to be rich, or I'm going to have this, you know? Life is about dying to yourself. And then after you die, then you get to rise again. Like God, God takes your life and gives you a new life. And that practically can happen in our life. Like we, we know we're saved by that, that cross that, that he did for us. We've saved, but then after we're saved, then day by day, we take up our cross. And then there's certain times in your life where God will build your life. But then sometimes God says, take that to the cross and let it die, and then I'll raise it up again in a better way. So sometimes we try to hold on to all the blessings we have or all the things that we've, we, you know, that are not bad things, but God says, take all those things to the cross, and then you'll see I'll give you new opportunities, you know, a plate, like a, a new mission for your life, uh, a resurrection uh, touch on your life, you know, continuously. Uh, and so, but of course, the disciples didn't understand it, right? And they were afraid to ask, right? So if the disciples were, didn't understand it, like, don't feel bad if you don't get it all the time, you know? Because that's why it took me a long time, even after God called me to do missionary work, it took me a long time to, of training and of relearning. Like, I was proud. I was, like, arrogant and, and lazy and proud, and I had to learn all the kind of stuff that, that God took a long time to train me because I didn't, I didn't get it even after... Even after being discipled, I didn't get it, you know? And so, but that's what, like, God is so graceful. God is so loving. He knows we don't get it. So it's like God is not surprised when we disobey or when we miss something. 
Guy said, oh, there's my children again, you know. They missed it. I'm going to give them another chance. I, what I love about God is he's always ready to give you another chance, <laughs> another grace chance. I'm on my like 1,000,000.2 chances by now, you know. I've, I've run through a lot of chances, but he keeps on giving me another chance. So that's the grace of God for his disciples. But then the, now this here is, uh, yeah, okay, the, the scripture didn't all make it into the slide, but that's okay. It's, I'm going to open up to the scripture. It says Colossians chapter 1. We'll read it in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 24. That's what it, it, at the top of the screen that you can't read, which is, it's my fault. It's not the AV's fault because I put the scripture all over the page and it's no, doesn't fit. So Colossians chapter one and verse 24. I got to get up my reading glasses to read it. So Colossians 1 24 says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I fill up in my, uh, I fill up what is behind and lacking in the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So Paul's writing to Colossian church. He says, I am suffering. I'm, I'm rejoicing in my suffering because I'm suffering for you. And there's something that is lacking in behind to the sufferings of Jesus. So all of us believe in the finished work of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. All the work to save us is finished. But here, Paul is saying, I'm suffering something that Jesus didn't do. Like there's something Jesus didn't finish. Because he says something that's lacking in behind of the afflictions of Christ, I'm taking that suffering in my life. And so the answer is, I put it on here, the unfinished work of Christ is telling of the news, that we, we suffer and rejoice to tell the news of Christ to those who not heard. So it's an easy answer to the question, saying, uh, what's the only thing that Jesus did not finish when he suffered and died? He didn't finish the telling of it, like the preaching of it and the the going out and reaching people, we have to suffer for that. You know, every time we open up our mouth and start preaching about Jesus, there's always usually going to be suffering because we'll face rejection or we may lose our job or we may lose a, fa a family member friendship because they're angry at us. Or, you know, people in India and people in, in Saudi Arabia may get killed for that, you know, if they're preaching about Jesus Christ, but they're, they're suffering to tell the news of Jesus Christ. And so we get to rejoice to suffer. You know, it feels good when you're suffering for someone else, doesn't it? If you're suffering because of your own dumb mistakes, it, it's hard to suffer on those things, right? But if you're suffering because you know that, okay, God, this is hard, but I know that I'm going through this so that I can help someone else, then you can take it, right? And so, so I want you to feel good about your suffering today because whatever suffering you're all going through today, God has a real good purpose for that suffering to help someone else. You're, you're going to be a blessing to someone. So the next time you suffer, say, okay, God, who am I going to bless next? Thank you for this suffering. What's it going to do? Okay, who do you want me to meet to take this suffering to help someone else? And then you'll feel good about, oh, I suffered for a good reason. And so that's what Colossians 1 is talking about, how we can reveal Christ in us because of that suffering it's talking about. And then we get to be we get to become heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. You've read that chapter. And then uh, to, for the rest of my message today, I'm going to be in this next chapter. Have you guys read Acts chapter 29? How many of you guys have read Acts chapter 29? 
<laughs> Actually, right now I'm going to be into, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be in, I'm going to go all the way to Acts chapter 537 today. Yeah, because I think that's where we are now. In the Acts, Acts chapter 537 says, and, and uh, if, you, if you open up Acts 537, it says, and Sam Miles went to Midtown and started a church, you know. So Sam and Cheryl, it talks about Sam and Cheryl Miles. <laughs> and so um, we, when we talk about the, there's, yeah, see, Acts 28 is the last chapter of Acts. See? <laughs> so, so I'm going to talk about like what has happened since the book of Acts. And I have some stories first about me and Beth, but then I have stories of great missionaries that we are, these missionaries are handing us the baton saying, it's now it's your turn to run the race. And we're going to be inspired by a few stories today. Okay. So first of all, we, we went to India. My wife and I went to, to Mumbai, India, which is called Bombay. And there's 20 million people in that city. And we started working with the, the slums, starting churches in the slums. And we worked with Pastor Ganesh and his wife, Sindhu. Now, Pastor Ganesh was here two years ago at the family camp. And he's the guy that spoke before Mark Trotter. And he was supposed to get 10 minutes. He took 45 minutes, you know. And so that's Pastor Ganesh. And uh, so he's a soul winner. He's like the Billy Graham of India. And he's from the, the, the Dalit, the untouchable caste, who it's easy to take him into the slums and just make all kinds of relationships. And so we would walk into the slums and you meet one family, you'd meet everybody. And you get invited to everybody's home, you know. And uh, we'd have chai tea, five or six different houses and eat some of their food and have to say no to some of the food because of the, the sanitation areas there. But we went to places like this. So this is this is one of the churches that we started, like right in the middle of the slum. It's like a garage. It's like a half a garage, right? Where they'd open up that the garage door. It, now somebody would live in this little house. And that's the whole house is that one room there. And then we just fill people into the church. Now, the, the key thing is we're having church in public, which means this little lane outside of our little church slum is people are just walking by there all the time, you know? You know, we talked about Farrell House cities are amazing because people are out walking around talking to each other instead of in the suburbs where people don't even know each other in the suburbs, right? It's like you're in the city and you're like, boom, people are walking by. We're singing, we're rejoicing, we're preaching and people walk by and they're out of curiosity, they'll come in. And some of those people on the back are not church members. They're just curiously coming in the back. And now when we're praying, they're imitating it. Like our, our church members here, the, the regular faithful ones are obviously we pray, we raise our hands. So the people in the back are raising their hands. They're not believers, but they're learning what Christians do, you know, and they're appreciating it. They're like, they like the message of Jesus. We say, hey, so church gets over. We say, come in and we'll explain it further to you. And some of them get saved and some of them don't. But, but you can see how open they are, right? Like they're so open. They're already. Uh, so we have, three, we have three churches that we started like that. And you can imagine Bethany's joy of teaching Sunday school for people like these, you know, like the crazy rambunctious kids that there's like one back room behind that that she can take the kids into. And that was difficult teaching Sunday school, wasn't it, honey? So um, and then the, the other pastor that I trained, this is one of my disciples, Pastor Pradeep. 
So Pastor Pradeep has received, a lot of teams from your church have gone to help teach his pastors and, and discipleship. And so Pastor Pradeep is in Arissa. He's in the villages of Arissa. And uh, that's the most persecuted part of India where the Christians are getting killed. And so I got to disciple him in my first year in India. And then we sent him back out to where he's from. And then guess what we did? The, these are uh, discipleship, the 16 lessons of discipleship translated into the Aria language. And we did it in the Hindi language too. So there they are holding the 16 lessons. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, all of the pastors and the, and the Bible college students ready to, they're teaching them home to home. You know what happens is they take these lessons. Now they intend to teach one-on-one -on -one like we do here. Like they, they'll try to meet with a key person that's coming into the church. I want to teach you discipleship. Well, what happens is there's no privacy there. There's no, there's like so many people. So, so they'll end up teaching eight or 10 people discipleship, you know, so he's trying to focus on one person, but there's another eight people listening in. So it's like discipleship becomes a group Bible study, but those who are serious are the ones who really take it and, and reproduce it, you know? So anyways, there's discipleship in India that we've got there. And the, the, this is like the LFBI of India where I get to teach the, the Bible college. And then, and then there's Bethany. So Bethany's teaching the ladies discipleship there in a, a ladies conference. So you can see the, the kurta that Bethany has on. This is a beautiful, I, I love the Indian dress that the ladies wear. It's just so uh, modest and beautiful and a kurta, you know? So, uh, and then this is me in Nepal. That's Pastor Rajan, the one that we helped start the Hope Family Orphanage. And this is like a bunch of the pastors that were teaching in the, in the Bible Institute. And then this is the orphanage. So we have two different orphan homes we started. And these are the kids that, some of the kids that we rescued, right? And we, we help the Indian pastors to rescue kids. So as our Indian pastors go from village to village and slum to slum, they always see kids who are being neglected, kids who are just on the streets eating out of the trash and things. And so sometimes they'll have parents and they'll, the pastors will try to track down who are the parents are. And there's no social workers, you know? So sometimes we find kids, some of these kids' stories where they, they have a mom somewhere. Their, their dad is always dead. Like there's not a lot of good health care and people die early there. And they, some of them will have a mom somewhere, but their mom is like just abandoned them. And um, what happens is when, when the husband dies, the woman has a lot of shame. To be a widow is a shame over there. And so the widows are so desperate to get remarried that sometimes they'll just find the next guy to get married to. And the new husband says, those are not my children, right? And the woman will just drop her kids off at some cousin or uncle or whatever, hoping that the kids will get taken care of because she can't keep her kids with this new hut. And then the kids get neglected. And then, so our pastors end up meeting these kids and saying to the community, you know, we will take these kids if you want us to take the kids in to our orphan home. And that's their story, you know, and then they get, these kids get beautifully raised by the church. You know, you see how happy they are now because they get loved up by the church every single day of their life. They're in church. They, they, the church becomes an orphan home and then the, they use the building and the, everybody and the, all the pastors are, and the pastor's wives are taking care of them. So it's a good, uh, it's a good ministry. To, we're praying that these children, you know, will become missionaries once they grow up and 
some of the kids we have now have gotten to be 17 years old and what are they going to do now? You know, we pray they all become missionaries and pastors. So, and that's some of the more of the LFBI students. So how did God call us into this mission to, to be able to live in India? Some of the, my former students have now planted churches in Bangladesh and Pakistan, uh, Rajasthan on the border of Pakistan and Rajasthan. So it's like, I want to go back there and, and visit the churches that they've started. But how do we get that grace? It, now, we, we stand on the shoulders of other missionaries who've gone before us, and, and we've been handed a baton. It's the race that we're running now, but, but the same baton Jesus is giving to you, Jesus is giving you all a chance to, to learn from these missionary stories. I, I brought a few books with me that tell you about the history of missions. And I actually have all these books. I figured this room is full of books, so why not bring more? And so I'm going to recommend to you some books today that you can buy on Amazon. I like, I like to read on the Kindle sometimes, but I prefer a real book, you know. You guys ever read on Kindle? But I get a real book and get a, because my eyes are not good with the Kindle machine. And this book called India, the Grand Experiment, uh, tied in with the life of William Carey, this book called The Life of William Carey, it's written by an Indian pastor. In other words, if you want to hear what's really going on in the world, you want to meet somebody who's been converted out of Hinduism, this guy named Vishal, Vishal Mungawadi, you got to write his name down and say, how can a Hindu who's come to Jesus Christ, he has seen the world through the eyes of the Bible. He's like, he's like the Indian C.S. Lewis, you know? And he can prove to us and show to us that Christ is the only way because India is a social experience, like a social laboratory where you have every religion has been dominant in India and had their chance to rule. And what has Buddhism and, and Hinduism produced in India? Not much. The Muslims ruled India for 300 years and they built the Taj Mahal, right? But right next to that beautiful engineering building of the Taj Mahal were people dying of starvation because the Muslims didn't build the irrigation canals to help the farms. They could have used the same irrigation skills to help the poor, but they just built the glory of the Taj Mahal. So then the British came, the Christians came. The first group of British who came to India were horrible, e evil people uh, stealing resources. So the evil British came and then they died. That generation died off. And then the, the next generation of Christians that were ruling India they were discipled by a man named William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce is the guy who, uh, the British parliament who outlawed slavery in 1807 in the British empire. So Wilberforce was a disciple of John Wesley, you know, like a, the, the Methodist movement. So you have John Wesley, the Methodist and the Wilberforce discipling British Christians to go to India to take care of India and to, to raise up India to be her own nation. Because before the Christians came to India, there was no India. God created India through Christian missions, and they, they translated the Bible. So every major language in India never had a book before they got the Bible, was the first book in every language. They had no education. There was no, so you can't have development if there's no books, if there's no literacy. So every language was like crazy kingdoms fighting each other, no unity. The, and when the British Christians translated the Bible, it was the first book they ever had. And then the other books came and education came, the hospitals came, the development, the technology came. And then India became 
a modern country. India got that identity. Like God said, let there be India, and there was India through Christian missions. Of course, they never give credit to that. And the guy who discipled him was, was William Carey. Now here's, this is the grave of William Carey, and Bethany laid flowers on his grave near Calcutta, India, right? And so William Carey, here's the book by Vishal Mungawadi writing about William Carey. He's the father of modern missions, which means, so this guy's like the George Washington of missions. Like before him, missions was still different, several different scattered concepts of people going out. But people followed William Carey and were discipled by him that other missionaries came in his wake of his discipleship of how to be a missionary. And William Carey changed the world. And you know what? He lived at the same time as George Washington and Alexander Hamilton. Someone ought to do a hip hop musical about this guy. You know, Alexander Hamilton, right? How about William Carey? India is waiting for you. You know, that kind of hip hop, right? And uh, because kids, kids only learn through hip hop nowadays, right? They ain't going to learn through all the boring history stuff. So if somebody would produce like hip hop musicals about missionaries, then that would be like a, a, a thing. I'm just telling the Rileys something, be, you know. So, <laughs> so William carries who we stand on the shoulders of, and we get to experience the blessings of what he did. And we, we study a book like this, The Pilgrim Church. You want to get this book because this tells you the history of the Christian church and the missionary history is one that you have groups of Christians in churches who were never a part of the Roman Catholic Church, but they were the Waldensians, and they were the John Hussites, and they were the Anabaptists, and they were the, the, uh, the Polyseans, and the, the Nestorian Church. And then you have the, the Brethren Movement and the Baptist Movement. These are churches that didn't come out of the Roman Catholic Church as a Protestant. They were never in the Roman Catholic Church, you know? And it's the pilgrim church that we're, it's Bible believers all through history who are the true church. And this details history the way it really happens. And then you have, in, through those stories of, of the pilgrim church, you have the key missionary stories that happened in the early days. So you have the Moravian church by patience and the word is about the Moravian church. How many of you have ever heard of the Moravian church, right? So the Moravians, in 1722, they were a new church near the Czech Republic. And they, they were all persecuted by the Roman Catholics they, because the Catholics were forbidding people to have the Bible. So they all came to Moravia, and they came from different backgrounds. And when they came to their church, there was a little bit of jealousy, and they, people were not getting along in the church because if you have people from different backgrounds— People start thinking, I'm better than you, and my people are better than your people. And so the church had no unity. And so they prayed in 1722, after brokenness and humility and, and unity, they started a 24-hour prayer meeting in shifts, and the prayer meeting lasted 100 years. So, so we, all of us need to know this story because this is like our heritage. We, we have been passed on since then, have produced our church. And so the Moravians said, now, Riley's, you pray from six in the morning until 12 noon. But then the Newfields, you all pray from 12 noon until six o'clock. And then Farrell, you pray, you know, the night shift, you know. 
And so everybody prays 24 hours a day long. And it's like, let's start this prayer meeting. And then as they're praying, God breaks them and gives them unity and love for each other. And they, they never stop praying for a hundred years. Uh, the prayer meeting just never stopped. And it wasn't rock and roll prayer like they do in South Kansas City. It's like real prayer, you know? So, uh, so these folks prayed, and this is what happened. Missionaries showed up, and people started pleading with the church, now that you're praying and God has given you revival in your church, please send your people out. And, and the Moravian church in this book, you hear the story of, they sent about 20% of their church members went out to be missionaries and left the home church and were sent out. 20%, you know, if they were a thousand people, that means 200 people got sent out as missionaries. And the first one was Leonard Dober. So they, they, ha- they met a, a freed slave came to their church. He was from the West Indies, like a sugar plantation slave. And he showed him the scars. And so this, this black African slave said, please come to my people in the sugar plantations in the West Indies. And it says Leonard Dober, he volunteered to be a slave in the West Indies. Caribbean islands and as a missionary in order to reach the African slaves in the 1720s. So see, only Jesus can produce that kind of a change in a person's life. Like Buddha can't do that. And Muhammad can't do that. And the Hindus can't produce that. The Catholics never produce something like that. And you know what else? Evolution can't produce that. Amen. Humanism and Karl Marx and all these philosophies of the world never produced someone. Have you ever seen someone so full of love that they looked at people who were in slavery and they said, I will volunteer to be a slave so I can reach the slaves because he was not allowed to go to that island unless he would become a slave also. So he said, if, if that's the way I get a visa, right? Like Bethany and I are waiting to get our, our new India visa to go back to India, right? But we never had to become a slave there, right? But he said, I'll become a slave to get a visa to get in there. You know, most people would say, well, the country's closed, right? The, the country said, I can't get into the, that country. Well, you can get in if you become a slave. Okay, sign me up. Where's the LFBI class for that, you know? So what kind of love he had. And he, all those slaves came to Christ and later got free, amen? But, uh, but Jesus worked freedom even... Even when they were slaves, they were free, right? They were even free as a slave. And so the Moravian church said, may the Lamb of God receive the reward of his sufferings. That's a good motto that you should write in your notes. You should make this one of your mottos, because if you are so focused on Jesus' sufferings deserve a reward for his sufferings, and not focused on your own suffering. Wouldn't that be good? To, that would be a good psychology for us. Because most of us wake up in the morning thinking about our sufferings, <laughs> right? Oh, man, I got to th- go through this and that. But then if we wake up and think, Jesus, you suffered so much, but yet you're re- I want to give you more rewards, Jesus. So how can I give you rewards for your suffering? Forget about my, my suffering. And when we bring people to Jesus and they get saved, That's Jesus' reward. It's not your reward. It's Jesus' reward for his suffering. So that's the motto of their church. And then the other books I'm going to be recommending to you today, these are books that as you're studying missions, you want to write down these titles and read 
These are the best missionary books that you ever read in anybody's library. Now, why am I telling this book? Because Cloud of Witnesses by Mark Knoll, this tells you who are the key, most impactful, most transformed, most amazing Christian missionaries who were Africans and Asians, not white guys. Amen? Because <laughs> like, when we study ch- Christian missions, a lot of people just want to talk about all the white guys, you know? <laughs> But, you know, Christian missions was done by people in Asia and people in Africa a lot better than the white guys. And you know what happened? In this book, you'll find out who are the amazing African Christians through history, right? Who are the Asian Christians, you know, and and what did they go through and what did they produce? That's why you want to get Cloud of Witnesses by Mark Knoll. Huh? That would be on Amazon.com, right? So another book you want to get is ambassadors for Christ. Same same principle. Who are the key Christians in every continent of the world? Who are the key leaders? And then the lost history of Christianity. So this one tells a story of what happened in the year 500, in the year 600, in the year 700, in in the dark ages, in the middle ages. There was a movement of Christians called the Nestorian Christians. They were called the Church of the East. They were Christians in Syria, Christians in Persia, in Iran, in Iraq. You know, before Muhammad came on the scene, everybody was a Christian there. You know, if you, if you went to Iraq, Muhammad came about 620, 630. If you went to Iraq and Iran and in Syria in the year 500 and 600, everyone was a born-again Christian. I mean, some of them were, obviously, there's always hypocrites in every age, right? There's false Christians and true Christians. But this book talks about who are the Christians in Persia and Iraq and Iran. And then there was this group of the Church of the East that was not connected to the Roman Catholics. In the 500s and the 600s, they were sent to China. And they sent some of their best missionaries to China. And Christianity made it to China in the year 632. And there were all kinds of Chinese getting saved in Christ in the 600s and the 700s and the 800s, and the 900s. And so this book documents who were the Christians in China in the 600s and the 700s. So that means Christianity, Jesus made it to China before the Germans got saved and before the Swedish people. Like my people are Swedish. My my ancestors came from Sweden. Swedish people didn't come to Jesus until about a thousand years after Christ, you know. But China was getting saved 400 years before Sweden, you know. And the gospel already made it all through. I mean, this talks about the Ethiopian church and the Nubian church and the, the, all the African churches that exist in this, in this time, not connected to the Roman Catholic church. So it's the lost history of Christianity uh, by Philip Jenkins. And then you have by their blood. Now, and I've had all these books here. I just got to show you. Okay, by their blood. This will tell you the martyrs of Jesus, who died as a martyr for Jesus Christ in the last 100 years. Because when you talk about martyrs, uh, usually you hear stories of the early church. You probably heard stories of like Polycarp or Perpetua and these martyrs who died in the first 300 years of of the church. You might hear stories of William Tyndale, who Tyndale translated the Bible to English and they burned them at the stake. The Roman Catholic Church burned them at the stake for translating the Bible. So there's a martyr for Jesus Christ, 1525. But what you never hear about is who died for Christ in the last 100 years, because 
In the last hundred years, more people have been martyred for Jesus than all the 19th centuries combined previous. So who were they? I mean, you never hear their stories, but in this book, you will. And the cool thing about this book is you open up the table of contents and it's, it's nation by nation. It'll say Vietnam, uh, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia. It'll say Tibet, India, Bangladesh. Who died in Indonesia? Oh, look that one up. Who died, who died in Sri Lanka? You know, if your favorite country, look it up. Who died there for Jesus Christ in the last 100 years? It's in by their blood. Because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? So before we go to Vietnam, I know this team, uh, there's a church uh, team from this church going to Vietnam, right? So as they go to Vietnam, I'm trying to help them know, hey, people spilled their blood there before you got there. Like, you should know who they were, you know? Uh, by their blood, by the Hefleys. And then you have uh, R.G. Latour. Now, I'm going to get into a few individual missionary stories before I finish today. And the first missionary story I want to tell you is this, because I usually finish with this guy. But see, this, this missionary right here, he never left America. And this is why I bring it up in the beginning, because I'm going to be telling you a few stories before we finish of people who were sent out from their home church, and they went out and they, they reached the lost, and they made an impact, and, and they were supported as missionaries. But this guy right here, he wanted to be a missionary, but God never let him leave America. Like he, he stayed in America and he had this heart for missions, right? You know what he did? He, R.G. Letourneau, and he has a university in Texas now, but Letourneau, he is the inventor of earth moving equipment and construction equipment. He's the inventor. So if you look at the bulldozers and the, all the machines that can move the earth and dig, you know, the backhoes and all that stuff, he invented that stuff back in the early 1900s, right? So he became a rich man, you know, like he's a Mr. Construction, right, in Texas. So you know what he did? Before God gave him the inventions, he had given his life to Jesus, and he prayed this prayer. And this is the prayer I want you all to pray today. <laughs> R.G. Letourneau said, God, if you will make me rich in my business, I will give you 90%, and I'll live on 10%. Amen? <laughs> He said, I'll give you 90% of my money because if I'm rich, I can live on 10%, you know? <laughs> so I always, I, sometimes I finish with this guy's story because I, I say, hey, God may never call you to go to Vietnam or, or Nairobi, Kenya. God may want you to stay in Kansas City, but that's okay. God, God needs people to give 90% of their money to missions. <laughs> we, we need people to give money to support. The Vietnam team needs missionary support, right, when they're going to go next year. And, and, and we believe by God's grace that one day there'll be a team from this church go to Kenya, right? To help Jeanette and all the new disciples that are in Nairobi. So who from this church is going to go to Nairobi? Amen. But when they go, they need missionary support, right? So let's all give 90% of our money to missions, right? We can live on 10%. <laughs> but that's what this guy did, right? So R.G. Letourneau, Letourneau University in Texas. You can go there today and learn how to be a construction worker. <laughs> so then you have George Lyle. So I'm bringing you today some stories that maybe you never heard. And that is, uh, and this is going to be a, a quiz later on your test, all right? Because uh, most, most places where you learn mission history, they will tell you one thing about American missions. Who is the first American missionary? Meaning, 
after America was a new nation, who was the first one of all the churches we have in America? Someone got sent out of America and to go start churches in other nations. Most people will tell you the answer is Adoniram Judson, who went to Burma, right? And he's a white guy from Massachusetts that he started amazing works in, in Myanmar, Burma, right? In 1812, Judson went out. But guess who beat him by five years? Huh? George Lyle is the first American missionary ever sent out of America. And he was a freed slave. Uh, George Lyle was born into slavery in uh, Virginia. And, and he bought his own freedom in, in this, in, be, before the Revolutionary War. In the 1700s, he bought his own freedom out of Virginia slavery. And George Lyle started the first black Baptist church in America before he got sent out, right? So that's why you got to know this guy. Who is the first black Baptist pastor, African-American black Baptist church, right? Uh, in Virginia, he, start, he started African-American churches in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all over the place. He discipled other guys like David George, some of the other black Baptist pastors, right? And, and by the way, he's a Baptist, amen? That's what I like about him. Huh? It's the Baptist who gets things done, you know? And so George Lyle, after planning many churches in America, the, the African-American churches sent him to Jamaica. Huh? And Jamaica was a pagan land at the time. Now everybody's a Christian in Jamaica now. But why? Because of George Lyle, you know? So George Lyle won Jamaica to Jesus Christ in the 1700s and in the early 1800s, 1807, when he got sent out as a missionary. So who, so remember that for your quiz. Who is the first American missionary? George Lyle. And then one of his disciples, like the, this is a woman who came for some of his, some of his Baptist churches that were planted, not his direct disciple, but this lady here, her name is Amanda Smith. And I got, look at this big old thick book I got, right? Amanda Smith. Now this is written by Amanda Smith. She's a freed slave from the, the middle 1800s, right? So Amanda Smith uh, got, got set free from slavery, even as a little girl, and then she became an evangelist. So she was like the Billy Graham of her day. She used to travel all over America and preach uh, to groups of slaves and groups of freed, freed slaves. And she uh, became an evangelist in the Methodist church and also the Baptist churches. And Amanda Smith has a great testimony. You know, that's why you got to get her book and read what, what did she go through? I mean, she talks about what life was like in slavery, getting set free from slavery, and how Jesus Christ set people free through her ministry. But what I really love about Amanda Smith is she went to India, where I go, because for, for one year of her life, only for one year, there were British missionaries who called her to serve in India. And so when this lady, as a freed slave, showed up to India, and she started preaching to the Indians. She attracted thousands of people came because they never saw a black person before, you know, <laughs> and they're like, look. And so people would come to hear her and they never heard a woman preach before, you know, and she's preaching Jesus and she's helping the pastors and people are getting saved all over India. And she'll tell you the story in this book, how she led people to Christ in India for a whole year. And guess what? After she went to India, then she went to Sierra Leone, and she was a missionary in Africa, right, which is a British uh, set-up country in Africa. So you have Amanda Smith winning the world to Christ 
as a freed slave. Amen? What a woman. And then you have another woman that I love to study, and her name is Mary McLeod Bethune. And so this woman, uh, her father was a freed slave, and she was the first African-American Bible college student in a place called the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And the, the Moody Bible College was the most famous Bible college through all the last many years. And so she met D.L. Moody and became a disciple of D.L. Moody. And then she, now the sad thing was this, after she graduated Bible college as in the, in the 1880s, in the days of reconstruction and all that, so she applied in her heart. She goes, I went to Bible college and I want to go to Africa as a missionary. I want to reach the Africans because my ancestors came from Africa. Now the missionary boards who were taking Bible college student graduates and they were looking, who should we send out as a missionary? In the 1880s, sad to say, all the missionary board says, we do not employ black people. These stinking racist, you know? And so, you know what she did? She, her dream of going to Africa died. She could not go to Africa as a missionary. So she just went down to Alabama and Georgia and Florida and found where a lot of the African-Americans were suffering with no education in the 1880s and the 1890s. And she started all these schools, Christian schools for young African-Americans who never had an education in the 1880s. And so she was used by God to reach the African-American population in the South in, in Reconstruction. And guess what? She did such a great job preaching Jesus to the young people in the schools that she was given a job in the, in the, when she was an old woman. She was given a job uh, in, the, in the 1930s by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the President Roosevelt, and, and his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. And so she worked in the FDR administration in the 30s. And Roosevelt had this thing called the Black Cabinet back then. You got to study. It was amazing. So, uh, and then her story, the, the same stories I just told you about these ladies, it's, if you, if you don't want these big, thick books, right, here's a smaller book where you can hear those same stories, right? And it's called, When Others Shuddered, Eight Women Who Refused to Give Up. Amen? Because the Lord knows the devil wants women to give up and stop, right? The, the devil wants to discourage women and to get them to quit. But you want to get this book because it says eight women who refused to give up. Amen. They didn't quit because now this book talks about black women and white women and Mexicans and Asians and all the different types of women there are in the world. So it talks about women who serving Jesus had to go through hell on earth to, to see, uh, take up your cross and Jesus will raise you back up, you know. So eight women who refu refuse to give up. So these are books that are just inspiring you today as I'm telling some stories. Um, next, I got, I got three more stories to do and then we'll be done because I know time's getting fast, right? Now, how many of you heard of this missionary? C.T. Studd, right? Now, who was C.T. Studd? Now, this guy's a British guy, but guess what? He was the Patrick Mahomes of his day. I'm totally serious, man. Now, he was the biggest sports star of Britain in the 1800s. And you know what sport he played? Cricket. <laughs> you probably never heard of cricket, right? They played in, in everybody's nuts for cricket in India and in Pakistan and Australia. Because cricket is like baseball with no bases. 
and the and the the pitchers they'll bowl the ball, pitch the ball, and it has to the ball has to bounce on the ground and bounce up, and then you have to hit it after the bounce. And if, if you don't hit it and it hits, there's like a, a wooden stake behind you. If it hits that stake, you're out. If you hit the ball over the wall, it's six points, you know? So there's all kinds of com complicated things in the sport. And it's not, it's really not that exciting, actually. We, we Americans made it better. We made it baseball. We, we have evolved it. Because when we Americans take a sport, we change it, we make it better, don't we? And so, so he played cricket. So when, when D.L. Moody started preaching in London, C.T. Studd came to the Moody campaign, like a Billy Graham crusade with D.L. Moody. C.T. Studd gets saved. He surrenders to Jesus. The next few days after he becomes a Christian, he quits the team. He says, God's called me to be a missionary. I'm going to Bible college, and God's sending me to China. He went to China for most of his life, and he won Chinese people to Christ. But before he became a missionary, he quit the Chiefs. I mean, he was going to win the Super Bowl, but he quit, you know, because you know what? All the Super Bowl rings that Patrick Mahomes is going to get, right? It doesn't compare to winning people to Christ, you know? And so he said, forget uh, the Kansas City Chiefs or whatever, whatever team he played for, you know? He said, I'm going to be a missionary, and he, he quit the team. And then guess what? So after he served Jesus in China, he came back to England as an old man. He was... He was only 55 years old, so that's not very old, right? But he, as a 55-year-old man, he was sick from being in China for a long time. So he was sick and not getting better, and so he was back home. And then he, as a sick man, he went to a missionary meeting in London, and the meeting was about Africa and about there was tribes that were cannibal tribes, and who's going to go reach the cannibals for Christ in, in parts of Africa? And nobody wanted to go to, to the northern parts of Africa and the central parts of it. And so C.T. Studd got angry. He said, why is no one raising their hand saying, I will go to Africa and I will preach Jesus to the cannibals and they'll, they'll come to Christ. So God said, C.T. Studd, you, I'm calling you to go. He said, I'm a sick man. I can't go. And the doctor says that I'm going to die in six months if I go anywhere. So Jesus said, I'm going I'm to protect you. I'm going to give you health. So C.T. Studd obeyed God, and he went to Africa at 55 years old. You know what? His wife told him not to go. His pastor said, don't go. His doctor said, don't go. His wife said, don't. He went by Jesus' word. And then later, the pastor got behind him later. And then his wife came later, too, you know? <laughs> so, but then he got to Africa. Guess what? The doctor said, you're going to die in six months. He lived 30 more years. And he was bicycling through Africa in the, in the 1880s and winning Africans to Christ. But you see, when he gathered the cannibals together to preach Jesus, he was so sickly looking, he was so ugly and old, that the, can the cannibals said, he doesn't look too tasty. We're not going to eat him. Right? So he was a perfect, a perfect guy to reach the cannibals. You know? <laughs> so that's why you got to get this book and read his story, right? Crick cricketeer and pioneer. C.T. Studd. And then you have, oh, this is what he said. C.T. Studd said, some want to live within the sound of a church chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Huh? I want to go out there and reach him. Because the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. All right? That's C.T. Studd.
But then I got two more stories. We'll be done. So Jacob DeShazer, I got this book. Here we go. So Jacob DeShazer lived in World War II, and he was a soldier for the army in World War II. And so when, when the Japanese attacked America, where did the Japanese attack first? Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. So Jacob heard about the Japanese attack and he hated the Japanese and he learned how to fly an airplane. And so he said, sign me up. I want to pay revenge on Japan. Right. And so there was a group of, of American soldiers that started this thing called the Doolittle Raiders. And so Jacob DeShazer joined the Doolittle Raiders. And, you know, there's a story about the Doolittle Raiders who they dropped bombs on Tokyo. And it's in that movie called Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck and all that stuff, you know. But he, that, this guy's not in that movie, but the Doolittle Raiders are. And so he got in an airplane, and you know what they had to risk? Their airplanes didn't have enough time to refuel. They ran out of, out of the gas. So they knew they would have to crash land. They, they dropped their bombs on Tokyo to hate the Japanese. And then they had to jump out in their parachutes to hopefully get a safe landing and get, get away. And so Jacob DeShazer dropped his bombs and then he got caught by the Japanese on the land and became a POW for five years. And they caught, they said, why did you drop your bombs on Tokyo? Well, you dropped your bombs on us at Pearl Harbor first, you know, like the hatred and the revenge. So he's in prison with nothing to do. When he's a POW in Japan, he gets a Bible in prison and he'd never accepted Jesus as a young man. He rejected Jesus so he's reading about Jesus. He, he sees the love and he repents and he sees, I should, why did I, re, why did I reject Jesus? And he gets Jesus in the jail and he gets saved as a POW. And Jacob says in this book, he heard the voice of God speak to him. You know, sometimes God will speak to you directly. You know what God said in the jail to Jacob? I forgive your sins. Now you forgive the Japanese. <laughs> he said, no, at first he said, no, he said, I'll forgive the Chinese. I'll forgive, you know, this person, but I'm not going to no, the Japanese. Did you know what they did? You know? So then finally he said, I don't feel it in my emotions, but by you said, forgive that you died on the cross for the Japanese. So by faith, I forgive them. I don't feel it, but I forgive them. So the next day he started getting the feelings and the emotions of forgiveness. And then the, the Japanese soldier came in to, to beat him. And he said, wait, before you beat me, what's your name? You know, and do you have a family that I could pray for your family? You know, so he started caring for the Japanese for the first time. And the Japanese soldier who was going to beat him, he stopped beating him because he saw that he changed. He said, wait a second. Now, what happened to you? You, you want to pray for my family? So then they, they became friends, you know, and he started a prayer meeting and a, and a church in that jail. And Japanese guards and American prisoners were all coming to Jesus. And there was a church in the POW camp. And God worked a revival in this book. And then finally, the war is over. He gets set free to go back to America. He goes to Bible, he goes to LFBI, right? And then after he graduates LFBI, he, said, he gets married and he says, let's go back to Japan. And for the rest of his life, he went, he lived in Japan. And, and he would Thousands of Japanese would come to hear him preach. They would say, come here, the former POW who forgives us. 
They go, oh, wow, what is this forgiveness thing? We, we never hear about that in Buddhism and Shintoism. And so people would come to Christ. In the 1940s and the 1950s, there was a revival of people coming to Christ in Japan. Today, it's not so, right? The Japanese very rarely would come to Christ today. But in the 40s and the 50s, they did. Because this, and so what happened was he met this guy. So Mitsuo Fuchida, a J Japanese general in the Japanese army, this man came to hear Jacob preach. And this man, he's got a book called From Pearl Harbor to Calvary. So Mitsuo Fuchida came to Jacob DeShazer. He says, you say you forgive the Japanese, but do you forgive me? And he said, I don't know who you are, but Jesus will forgive anything. And the, this Mitsuo Fuchida said, you don't know what I did, but but recently he had met a, a young woman who gave him a Bible and he got saved because a young woman shared Christ with him, a, a young Japanese woman. And so the general, he gets saved, he becomes a Christian and he's an old man. He says, but, but will Jesus forgive what I did, right? And so, so Mitsuo Fuchida says to Jacob, he says, I was the lead pilot at Pearl Harbor, you know? So Pearl Harbor started World War II which means Mitsuo Fuchida started World War II, you know? Like, think of all the people who died in World War II, and he started it. He bombed uh, Pearl Harbor. He was the lead pilot. So he thought, would Jesus forgive that? And Jacob said, yeah, Jesus will forgive that. And people started listening to him preach, and he would travel with Jacob, and the big crowd of Japanese would gather, and he would say, you know, oh, my Japanese people, I'm your general. But listen to me, we need to turn to Jesus. We were so foolish why we did those things. Let us now turn to God. He'll forgive us. So, see, only Jesus can do something like that. Like, have you ever heard of that happening in Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or, you know, evolution? These things can't produce this type of transformation, right? People who have been having a changed life. There, there's Jacob and Mitsuo Fuchida together here doing, I think they were doing discipleship one in that picture. I don't, know what, I don't know what lesson they were on. I think lesson five or lesson six. And they were doing D1 together, right? Maybe it was D2. I don't know. So, so this is a transformation that happened. Now, this is the last story. Now, see, we spent some time in Vietnam. And this woman is famous in Vietnam because when you talk about the Vietnam War, this is the most famous picture from the Vietnam War because this nine-year-old girl named Kim was burned with napalm fire. And this was a mistake, friendly fire of the Americans and the South Vietnamese. So this American was on the radio and the South Vietnamese pilot in the air. The Americans said, hey, the, the enemy's over there. They dropped the bomb. They didn't know that there were children over there. In 1972, Kim gets burnt, like their clothes burn off of her body. She's crying and she needs skin grafts. She ends up in a Christian hospital that heals her and saves her life. So it's the Christians who save her life. And then later, she meets Christians and she gets saved. She became a born-again Christian. When you read her story, it's called Fire Road. So this is what she looks like now. Uh, so she's a preacher now. She's an evangelist and a, a born-again Christian all over the world traveling. And so she'll tell the story of how when she was first damaged in her body, she, she was used by the communists as a propaganda tool. And she got tired of all this propaganda. She started preaching Jesus to all the communist leaders of Vietnam. 
and uh, she, they took her to Moscow and she preached to the communists there. So, so she's in Toronto, Canada now. She got out of Vietnam and she became a refugee in Toronto, Canada. And so Kim is, she's an example of people who we're going to be sending to Vietnam this next year. We want to start living faith church in Vietnam, in Saigon this next year. And it's, it's girls like here, we're going to meet women like her, right? Who've been raised in Buddhism and Shintoism and all the Taoism and all the things they have. And they hear about Jesus and they'll be transformed and they'll become preachers of the gospel. And this woman, I'm going to finish with this story because we've got to finish now. This woman got a chance to speak in Washington, D.C. to all the American veterans who fought the Vietnam War. And all the, all the old vets are gathered at the, at the uh, you know, there's that memorial in D.C. called the Vietnam Wall. You ever been there? And it's like they have a, a meeting every November 11th is Veterans Day. So they had the big meeting. And so she was the special speaker one year. And all the vets looked at her and said, is that the same girl that we thought she died? She's alive. And they got to hear her story, how Jesus saved her life. Jesus changed her and she preached the gospel to all the vets. And she said, oh, you vets, thank you for trying to serve my country. I know things went wrong in Vietnam, but Jesus forgives. And so she preached a message and got people, people got saved right there in the Vietnam War Memorial. But then to finish the story, just like with Jacob DeShazer in Japan, an old man came up to her at the end of the message. And he's, you know, an old American man said, hey, Kim, you know, you said you forgive us Vietnam vets, but do you forgive me? You don't know what I did. He's, I was the one that called down on the radio. I called for the bombs from the plane and it was, you were there. So his name is John Hammond. So John Hammond was an old Vietnam vet. And he said, I made a mistake by calling a bomb and where you were standing and you suffered because of me. He's, so he, John Hammond said, when I got back from the Vietnam War, I became a drunkard because of my guilt. I had so much guilt. And so I got my first wife and then I got a divorce. I got a second wife. I got a divorce. I was just a drunk. He said, so John Hammond said, when I met my third wife, she was a crazy Christian and she led me to Jesus. And then I went to Bible college and I became a Methodist pastor. So the guy who hurt her years later, he's a Methodist pastor and she's a, she's an evangelist preacher for Jesus. Like they're both healed, you know? So this is a story of redemption, a story of transformation, something that only Jesus can do. It's a clue of God. In other words, if you want to look for a clue that Jesus is the only way, that's a good clue. When you see stories of lives who are changed, that only Jesus could do that. That's the best proof that we can give to a lost world. Hey, Jesus is the way. Listen to Jesus, because only Jesus can change people like this. So that's why God's called you here this morning. Like Jesus is changing your life and God's going to call you to reach people to change their lives. So let's pray for that now. Let's pray that we as a church, that God will give us more, you know, God will give us more souls and that maybe people from this very class will be sent out to Nairobi, Kenya one day. Amen. Maybe we'll start a church and you're going to go on the team or maybe God's going to call you to go to Dallas or Tampa or somewhere. God's going to call you to be a missionary because so, this church is going everywhere all over the world, right? So let's, let's pray to the Lord on that right now. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for a chance to share about missions. 
And we thank you for Colossians chapter one that I mentioned that we suffer. You said that we suffer so that other people can hear about Christ. And so we thank you for a chance to suffer on the behalf of other people. And that feels good to suffer to help other people. So Lord, help us now to learn discipleship and to, to bless us as we go into the main church service. Keep us safe that we may bless people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.